July, Ambrose Beers. Brought to you by BunnySlippers.com. Check out their brand new Dino Sound Slippers. Slippers that make a roaring sound every three steps. Made with greenish, scaly fabric, soft, plush uppers, foam footbeds, and non-slip grips on the soles. And three white claws on each foot. One size fits most, up to women's 10.5, men's 8. Footbed measures 10.5 inches. Check out Dave's Corner of the Universe every last Tuesday of the month part of our monthly Cthulhu Mythos and other weirdness episodes. Or go to his blog at davescorneroftheuniverse.wordpress.com. Also join us later this month when we talk to writer Rami Ungar about his next novel, Rose, which should be out on Amazon right now. You can check check the show notes to find out where you can get a copy or check out the reviews for that. I really like it. It's, oh man, it's hard to describe, but uh, it would make a really good manga. It would make a really good manga. It's um, biological body horror. Uh, there's there's spellcasting elements in it. There's there's elemental spirits. It's it's pretty cool stuff. And you can find out more about him by going to Rami Ungar, the writer. And that is R-A-M-I-U-N-G-A-R, the writer.com. Special thanks to all of my guests this month. If you want to be a guest on PGTTCM or Black Clock due to your hobbies or professions in academia, arts, literature, relating to weird fiction, gothic horror... Uh, old English, any of that fun stuff, folklore, Cthulhu mythos, weird fiction, horror in general, contact us and we'll see what we can do. P-G-T-T-C-M dot com slash contact to get a hold of us. Black Clock Audio Tales is a daily podcast that reads you a story, either a chapter of a novel or a whole short story. Join us in our exploration of old ghost stories, supernatural fiction, horror tales, folk tales, fantasy, gothic horror, weird fiction, and cosmic horror. And don't forget to join us for our monthly show about the Cthulhu mythos. Look for our podcast wherever you find your podcasts. We suggest Podbean, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher. Find us on the web at pgttcm.com and Clock audio on instagram and facebook we've got pgttcm on twitter and black clock audio tales on youtube check out people's guide to the cthulhu mythos on the last tuesday of each month check out our new website at pgttcm.com edited by daniel spitzer music by kevin mcleod produced at badgers drift studio in beautiful north portland Recording by Dale Grothman Immortality by Ambrose Bierce The desire for life everlasting has commonly been affirmed to be universal. At least that is the view taken by those unacquainted with Oriental faiths and with Oriental character. Those of us whose knowledge is a trifle wider are not prepared to say that the desire is universal, nor even general. If a devout Buddhist, for example, wishes to live always, he has not succeeded in very clearly formulating the desire. The sort of thing that he is pleased to hope for is not what we should call life, and not what many of us would care for.
When a man says that everybody has a horror of annihilation, we may be sure that he has not many opportunities for observation, or that he has not availed himself of all that he has. Most persons go to sleep rather gladly, yet sleep is virtual annihilation while it lasts, and if it should last forever, the sleeper would be no worse off after a million years of it than after an hour of it. There are minds sufficiently logical to think of it that way, and to them annihilation is not a disagreeable thing to contemplate and expect. In this matter of immortality, people's beliefs appear to go along with their wishes. The man who is content with annihilation thinks he will get it. Those who want immortality are pretty sure they are immortal, and that is a very comfortable allotment of faiths. The few of us that are left unprovided for are those who do not bother themselves much with the matter one way or another. The question of human immortality is the most momentous that the mind is capable of conceiving. If it is a fact that the dead live, all other facts are in comparison trivial and without interest. The prospect of obtaining certain knowledge with regard to this stupendous matter is not encouraging. In all countries but those in barbarism, the powers of the profoundest and most penetrating intellects have been ceaselessly addressed to the task of glimpsing a life beyond this life. Yet today, no one can truly say that he knows. It is as much a matter of faith as ever it was. Our modern Christian nations profess a passionate hope and belief in another world. Yet the most popular writer and speaker of his time, the man whose lectures drew the largest audiences, the work of whose pen brought him the highest rewards, was he who most strenuously strove to destroy the ground of that hope and unsettle the foundations of that belief. The famous and popular Frenchman, professor of spectacular astronomy, Camille Flammarion, affirms immortality because he has talked with departed souls who say that it is true. Yes, Monsieur, but surely you know the rule about hearsay evidence. We Anglo-Saxons are very particular about that. M. Flammarion says, I don't repudiate the presumptive arguments of schoolmen. I merely supplement them with something positive. For instance, if you assume the existence of God, this argument of the scholastics is a good one. God has implanted in all men the desire of perfect happiness. This desire cannot be satisfied in our lives here. If there were not another life wherein to satisfy it, then God would be a deceiver. Voilà trot. There is more. The desire of perfect happiness does not imply immortality, even if there is a God. For, one, God may not have implanted it, but merely suffers it to exist, as he suffers sin to exist, the desire of wealth, the desire to live longer than we do in this world. It is not held that God implanted all the desires of the human heart. Then why hold that he implanted that of perfect happiness? 2. Even if he did, even if a divinely implanted desire entails its own gratification, even if it cannot be gratified in this life, that does not imply immortality. It implies only another life long enough for its gratification just once. An eternity of gratification is not a logical inference from it. 3. Perhaps God is a deceiver, 
who knows that he is not? Assumption of the existence of a god is one thing. Assumption of the existence of a god who is honorable and candid according to our conception of honor and candor is another. 4. There may be an honorable and candid god. He may have implanted in us a desire of perfect happiness. It may be, it is, impossible to gratify that desire in this life. Still, another life is not implied, for God may not have intended us to draw the inference that he is going to gratify it. If omniscient and omnipotent, God must be held to have intended whatever occurs, but no such God is assumed in Mr. Flammarone's illustration, and it may be that God's knowledge and power are limited, or that one of them is limited. Mr. Flammarone is a learned, if somewhat theatrical, astronomer. He has a tremendous imagination, which, naturally, is more at home in the marvelous and catastrophic than in the orderly regions of familiar phenomena. To him the heavens are an immense pyrotechnicon, and he is the master of the show and sets off the fireworks. But he knows nothing of logic, which is the science of straight thinking, and his view of things have therefore no value. They are nebulous. Nothing is clearer than that our pre-existence is a dream, having absolutely no basis on anything that we know or can hope to know. Of after-existence there is said to be evidence, or rather testimony, in assurances of those who are in the present enjoyment of it, if it is enjoyable. Whether this testimony has actually been given, and it is the only testimony worth a moment's consideration, is a disputed point. Many persons living this life profess to have received it, but nobody professes, or even has professed, to have received a communication of any kind from one in actual existence of the fore-life. The souls are yet ungarmented, if such there are, are dumb to question. The land beyond the grave has been, if not observed, yet often and variously described, if not explored and surveyed, yet carefully charted. From among so many accounts of it that we have, he must be fastidious indeed, who cannot be suited. But of the fatherland that spreads before the cradle, the great heretofore, wherein we all dwelt if we are to dwell in the hereafter, we have no account. Nobody professes knowledge of that. No testimony reaches our ears of flesh concerning its topography or other features. No one has been so enterprising as to wrest from its actual inhabitants any particulars of their character and appearance. And among educated experts and professional proponents of the world's to be, there is a general denial of its existence. I am of their way of thinking about that. The fact that we have no recollection of the former life is entirely conclusive of the matter. To have lived an unrecollected life is impossible and unthinkable, for there would be nothing to connect the new life with the old, no thread of continuity, nothing that persisted from the one life to the other. The later birth would be that of another person, an altogether different being, unrelated to the first, a new John Smith succeeding to the late Tom Jones. Let us not be misled here by false analogy. Today I may get a thwack a mazard 
which will give me an intervening season of unconsciousness between yesterday and tomorrow. Thereafter, I may live a green old age with no recollection of anything that I knew, or did, or was before the accident. Yet I shall be the same person, for between the old life and the new there is a nexus, a thread of continuity, something spanning the gulf from one state to the other, and the same in both, namely, my body with its habits, capacities, and powers. That is I. That identifies me to others as my former self, authenticates and credentials me as the person that incurred the cranial mischance, dislodging memory. But when death occurs, all is dislodged, if memory is, for between two merely mental or spiritual existences, memory is the only nexus conceivable. Consciousness of identity is the only identity. To live again without memory of having lived before is to live another. Re-existence without recollection is absurd. There is nothing to re-exist. The End of Immortality by Ambrose Bierce Reading by Bologna Times the Other Lodgers by Ambrose Bierce In order to take that train, said Colonel Levering, sitting in the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, you will have to remain nearly all night in Atlanta. That is a fine city, but I advise you not to put up at the Breathitt House, one of the principal hotels. It is an old wooden building in urgent need of repairs. There are breaches in the walls that you could throw a cat through. The bedrooms have no locks on the doors, no furniture but a single chair in each, and a bedstead without bedding, just a mattress. Even these meager accommodations you cannot be sure that you will have in Monopoly. You must take your chance of being stowed in with a lot of others. Sir, it is a most abominable hotel. The night that I passed in it was an uncomfortable night. I got in late and was shown to my room on the ground floor by an apologetic night clerk with a tallow candle which he considerately left with me. I was worn out by two days and a night of hard railway travel and had not entirely recovered from a gunshot wound in the head received in an altercation. Rather than look for better quarters, I lay down on the mattress without removing my clothing and fell asleep. Along toward morning I awoke. The moon had risen and was shining in at the uncurtained window, illuminating the room with a soft bluish light which seemed, somehow, a bit spooky, though I dare say it had no uncommon quality. All moonlight is that way, if you will observe it. Imagine my surprise and indignation when I saw the floor occupied by at least a dozen other lodgers. I sat up, earnestly damning the management of that unthinkable hotel, and was about to spring from the bed to go and make trouble for the night clerk, him of the apologetic manner and the tallow candle, when something in the situation affected me with a strange indisposition to move. 
I suppose I was what a story writer might call frozen with terror, for those men were obviously all dead. They lay on their backs, disposed orderly, along three sides of the room, their feet to the walls. Against the other wall, farthest from the door, stood my bed and the chair. All the faces were covered, but under their white cloths the features of the two bodies that lay in the square patch of moonlight near the window showed in sharp profile as to nose and chin. I thought this a bad dream, and tried to cry out, as one does in a nightmare, but could make no sound. At last, with a desperate effort, I threw my feet to the floor, and passing between the two rows of clouted faces and the two bodies that lay nearest the door, I escaped from the infernal place and ran to the office. The night clerk was there, behind the desk, sitting in the dim light of another tallow candle, just sitting and staring. He did not rise. My abrupt entrance produced no effect upon him, though I must have looked a veritable corpse myself. It occurred to me then that I had not before really observed the fellow. He was a little chap with a colorless face and the whitest, blankest eyes I ever saw. He had no more expression than the back of my hand. His clothing was a dirty gray. Damn you, I said. What do you mean? Just the same, I was shaken like a leaf in the wind and did not recognize my own voice. The night clerk rose, bowed apologetically, and, well, he was no longer there, and at that moment I felt a hand upon my shoulder from behind. Just fancy that, if you can. Unspeakably frightened, I turned and saw a portly, kind-faced gentleman who asked, "'What is the matter, my friend?' I was not long in telling him, but before I made an end of it, he went pale himself. "'See here,' he said. "'Are you telling the truth?' I had now got myself in hand, and terror had given place to indignation. "'If you dare to doubt it,' I said, "'I'll hammer the life out of you.' "'No,' he replied. "'Don't do that. Just sit down till I tell you. This is not a hotel. It used to be. Afterward, it was a hospital. Now it is unoccupied, awaiting a tenant. The room that you mentioned was the dead room.' There were always plenty of dead. The fellow that you call the night clerk used to be that, but later he booked the patients as they were brought in. I don't understand his being here. He has been dead a few weeks. And who are you? I blurted out. Oh, I look after the premises. I happen to be passing just now, and seeing a light in here came in too. Investigate. Let us have a look into that room, he added, lifting the sputtering candle from the desk. I'll see you at the devil first, said I, bolting out the door into the street. Sir, that breathed house in Atlanta is a beastly place. Don't you stop there. God forbid. Your account of it certainly does not suggest comfort. By the way, Colonel, 
When did all that occur? In September, 1864, shortly after the siege. End of The Other Lodgers by Ambrose Bierce Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Help support the show and keeping it paywall-free by going to paypal.me slash pgttcm and donate a buck or five or whatever you feel or go to pgttcm.podbean.com and hit that patron button. That will set you up with donating on the regular if you want to keep this show going, if you want to hear two episodes of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos a month, or if you want to hear better stories, higher quality stuff on the, I don't know, monthly readings. We'll, we'll see what we can do. Okay, so, you know you can uh, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. And we just want to say, check out Podbean. It's straight from the source, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. So next month is going to be August Derleth. Send us any mythos stories that you've written yourself, and we're going to be talking about August Derleth and Arkham House Publishing. Month after that, we're going to have Bronte. So you know Andrew Grace is going to be here for that. He's going to be here, like, probably a lot. October, we're going to have spooky stories, and that's just going to be all kinds of different ghost stories and spooky stories. And then in November, we're going to be going with, like, old, old English stories, so expect some Beowulf. All right, everyone, thanks again for listening so much, and I hope your podcast that's coming up next is good. And not, like, a whole bunch of the ends of podcasts that you're like, oh, I don't want to listen to the person at the end talk about stuff, and then you skip. And, and then, like, at the end of the week, you have, like, all these ends of all these little podcasts and stuff. I always hear myself in those because I'm like, I don't want to listen to myself try and tell myself to help the show get better. Anyway, thanks a lot for listening. If you got all the way to this part, high fives. Send me, send, send me a link. I mean, not send me a link. Send me a message on Facebook or Twitter or something and said, hey, I got all the way to the end episodes. Hashtag high five. Anyway. You're the best. Keep on going.